Good morning, everybody. How's it going today? All right. Good to see you guys. Man, awesome. Yesterday we went out into the beautiful Eugene winter sunshine and then experienced the beautiful Eugene liquid sunshine five minutes later. And uh, if you saw us on the bike path there on the river, you would have seen Bethany and I and all the kids uh, blitzing as fast as we could back to the car. Anybody else get, uh, get caught out there uh, yesterday? Nobody. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. We were thinking, okay, a few people. We were thinking, man, people are going to look at the sunshine because it, it came out, right? It was like, what's this? I've never seen that before here. And, uh, and all of a sudden it, it trapped us. But uh, man, so good to be with you guys today on Sunday. Uh, wave at me if you're awake and you're alive. I needed some more coffee this morning. Like I, I went for the triple shot medium Americano to like need a little bit more Holy Spirit, a little bit more caffeine, and that combo creates something really beautiful, right? Well, we're going to jump in, guys. We, uh, we've been in a series about discipleship, which is really the heartbeat of our church. You know, when we talk about Joy Church, we're here to uh, love God. You can't really see it, maybe from the back over there. We're in the big room now. We need to get bigger banners, but uh, you, we're here to love God, love people, and make disciples. And that comes right out of the scripture. But a disciple is simply somebody who is following Jesus, right? And we went through this a couple weeks ago just to give you a, a recap. It's three things. A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus, who fishes for men. And some of the ladies, single ladies are like, amen. No, 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 not that type. Sorry, that was a better joke than you gave me credit for. But fishes for people, right? Fishes for men like Jesus taught his disciples. I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. And then third, fellowships with other believers. That's what a disciple is. And our job as disciples of Jesus is to make disciples of Jesus. It's the Great Commission. The very first thing Jesus called his disciples to do was to be fishers of men. And the very last thing he spoke to them and what he speaks to us today, still down through history, is to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. And so we're talking about that because we believe that God has a great, beautiful plan and future for our community. Now, I don't know about you, but earlier uh, or last year, I was kind of a little bit down on, on our, our country, a little bit down on the world, a little down uh, even in our state, in our area, kind of like, ah, people are being dumb and this is what's going on. And how many of you ever get a little jaded, a little bit cynical about the world, right? Uh, you listen, and this is whether you're on the left or the right or in the middle or whatever. Uh, obviously, only one person in this room, me, has perfect politics. The rest of you, it's all a mess, but I'm just kidding. People are like, I'm out of here. No, uh, all of us have our own ideas of how things should go, should be, and all that. And I was a little bit cynical about things and how they were going and being managed and so on and so forth. And I was on a drive with my dad, and, and we were just talking about the fact that God does not give up on us, and he's not giving up on our city, not giving up on our state, not giving up on our nation, not giving up on this world. That's why he sent Jesus, because there was something worth fighting for, something worth working on. And so we believe that God has a plan for our community. One of the things I want to just challenge you with is don't curse the place that God has placed you to be a missionary in. Come on, somebody. Don't be like, oh man, this city sucks. It's all the conservatives here in Springfield. It's all the liberals here in Eugene. It's all the this person. It's these people. It's them. It's they. It's those. It's thee. It's thou. Whatever it is, don't curse the mission field God placed you in. When Bethany and I were being sent to Eugene by the leading of God, we were coming here and people would say to us, oh man, Eugene, that's a tough city. Oh, that's a tough city. One of the hardest places to preach the gospel. And Bethany and I were a little bit rebellious, I think, so we were kind of like, sweet, we want it. We want the challenge. We like it. We want it tough. You know, give it to us. Uh, but, but our heart was always this, no, in the place 
that some other people are, refuse to go, a place that, that people say, oh, it's a hard city or this is a tough place. That's where we want to be because that's where God wants to move. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And the darkness is where the light shines. So don't curse the mission field God placed you in. We're here to make disciples. We're here to be an influence for good, for the kingdom of God in the area that God's placed us in. And uh, we've been talking about this, about discipleship and making disciples, what it means to be a disciple, what it means to make a disciple. And as I've been talking about for the past few weeks, there is no such thing as a disciple that doesn't make disciples. There is no such thing as a Christian who basically gets to sit it out and be a spectator. Those two things do not cohere. They don't go together, okay? You can't be a follower of Jesus and not follow Jesus into the mission that he came to this world, to this planet for. He said that I came to seek and save that which was lost. And we are called, if we're following Jesus, you got to follow him into his mission. Somebody say amen, even if you're not oversaved and you can just do it today. At least one person say it. Amen. So you got to follow Jesus. We've been talking about this. Every disciple is called to make disciples. In Matthew 28, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all, say all, authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, or because of that, okay, go and make disciples of all the nations. Because Jesus has been given all the authority, he's giving us now this commission, this command, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus has all the authority in heaven on earth, and he's handing that commission to us, saying, I've got this authority, and because I have all this authority, now I'm transferring that to you for this particular purpose and mission to go and make disciples. Because of my authority, because of my empowerment, I'm empowering you to go and make disciples. That is the call for every disciple. Now, as you know, we've been going through the never-ending. It's kind of been a joke in our families. We talk about this series. I wrote one sermon, and it's been expanding into multiple sermons, but that's the gift of a pastor, right? To fill with wonderful words the, the space, right? Don't give a pastor, don't tell him you have 30 minutes, he'll take an hour, right? If, you have a, if you're going to get married or if, if you're going to die and you want me to do your funeral, uh, you have to give very specific instructions. You guys are, anybody alive today? Okay, I'm joking, okay? I'm joking. But the funeral, you got you to be very clear, you know, in that last will and testament, Pastor Jake, two minutes and I'll take 20, right? It's how it goes with the with it, right? Pastors are going to fill those words. But we've been talking about this thing of empowerment, which means to give someone the authority or power to do something. Jesus was empowered by the Father, and we're going to talk about this next week, but he was sent by the Father, and he sends us. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he empowered us. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then we can go and empower others. So empowerment is to give someone the authority or power to do something Jesus empowered us to make disciples. So whether you feel happy about that, sad about that, like you feel qualified or unqualified or disqualified, you are empowered. You have the ability and the authority to do the thing that Jesus has called you to do. Whether you've been a disciple for five minutes, five years, or 50, you are empowered to make disciples. And so we've been talking about this topic of empowerment. Let me tell you a story uh, that I think illustrates this well. When Christian Herder was governor of Massachusetts, he was running hard for a second term in office. One day, after a busy morning chasing votes, he'd had no lunch, he arrived at a church barbecue. It was late afternoon, and Governor Herder was famished. As he moved down the serving line, he held out his plate to the woman serving chicken. She put a piece on his plate and turned to the next person in line. 
Excuse me, Governor Herder said. Do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, the woman told him. I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person, but I'm starved, the governor said. I'm sorry, the woman said again, only one per person. Governor Herder was modest and unassuming man, but he decided that this time he would throw his weight around. Do you know who I am? He said, I am the governor of this state. Do you know who I am? The woman said. I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Move along, mister. <laughs> Who's in charge of the chicken, right? Come on. That's a lot of power at the church barbecue, isn't it? This woman was empowered. See, it doesn't matter if you're talking to the governor of the state, right? The prime minister, the parliamentarian, the president, doesn't matter who you're talking to. If that is your job, your role, and you've been empowered, you can move out and do the thing that you're called to do. You can make disciples. Well, I'm, I'm intimidated by it. Yeah, but you were given the, the full authority over the chicken. You're the one who's in charge. You are empowered. Come on. That's what empowerment looks like. And so we've been going through six ways we're empowered to make disciples. We've talked about being empowered to be ambassadors for Christ, that we've been empowered by the, uh, by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses, right? We talked about that last week. And today, I want to talk about being empowered by mentors, empowered by the mentors in our life, and empowered to be a mentor. What or who is a mentor? So if, if you're not familiar, mentor is a character from Greek mythology, comes from the Iliad and Odyssey, and uh, I never read the Iliad and Odyssey, but I did watch, I think TNT or TBS had an old special. Anybody watch that? It was like six or eight hours, miniseries. It was tight. I loved it. I watched it like a million times as a kid. Yeah, it was super awesome. Lots of sword fighting, and it was cool. Anyways, uh, Mentor was assigned by Odysseus to watch after his son Telemachus. How many of you like my Greek pronunciation here today? I'm actually, I do know a little Greek. There's a little Greek food cart right down on the... <laughs> Uh, campus, and then you can, no, I'm just kidding. Um, Bethany was like shaking me off on that joke, like, no, no, no. But Mentor is a character from Greek mythology, and basically he's this older guy that was mentoring or, you know, counseling, giving advice, wisdom to this younger guy. But it means simply someone who imparts wisdom and shares knowledge with a less experienced colleague. So all your wives, all the wives in here are functioning as that way to their husbands, right? You're, you're imparting wisdom and sharing knowledge with a less experienced colleague. It's okay, dear, you'll grow up someday, right? How many of you know the difference between men and savings bonds? Savings bonds eventually mature. It was men booze, unless it was like a real, you know, deep-voiced woman. <laughs> Sorry, sir, I mean ma'am. Okay. But uh, a mentor is someone who imparts wisdom and shares knowledge with a less experienced colleague. Anyone and everyone can be a mentor. Now, here's what I wanted to say. Oftentimes we think, oh, I can't be a mentor because a mentor is like this old guy with a white beard and, you know, it's the sort of wizened old man of the mountain, you know, Confucius say, right? We sort of have this mentality of what a mentor is. Actually, no, a mentor can be anyone that is sharing, again, what does it say? Who imparts wisdom and shares knowledge with a less experienced colleague. Uh, there's many times in my life where I've functioned as a mentor to people that are older physically than me and might have more experience and wisdom and knowledge in other areas, but in some areas where I was the 
uh, more experienced or had more wisdom or so on and so forth, I function as a mentor. So it's not age, okay? It's not gender. It's not uh, socioeconomic class. It's just do you have more experience or knowledge to share? So anybody can be a mentor when it comes to mentoring people, discipling people in the gospel and as a follower of Jesus. Now, a few weeks ago, we were watching videos. If you remember, Pastor Steve Merle was sharing uh, those five-minute discipleship lessons, and we were watching as he uh, talked about this, that when they planted their church in Manila, Philippines, he and his wife showed up. They were going to be missionaries for one month. And that was their plan, to show up for one month to do these crusades, to win people to Christ, students from the university there in Manila, Philippines. And then they were going to, you know, raise them up, disciple them, and then they were going to leave and come back to the United States. Now, they, they happened to actually stay there for 30 years, so that was a long missions trip. How many of you? <laughs> that's why you want to be careful where you actually go on a missions trip. Would you be okay staying there if it actually happened? That's why I only go to, like, Mexico, missions trips to Hawaii, just in case you accidentally, you know, really called to, to Fiji. You know, just if the Lord called you to stay, boom, you know, I'm okay to stay. Uh, don't send me to, like, you know, Kosovo or something like that. I don't want to stay. <laughs> okay, anyways. So uh, I'm just having fun today. I don't know if anybody else is, but I'm, I'm going to have fun regardless. But he, he talked about that they were there in the Philippines and their plan was to leave. And so what he would tell these young Filipino students getting saved is he would say, okay, John or Mark or, you know, whoever, you're, you're going to be reading uh, one chapter ahead. You read the book of Mark. And if you're one chapter ahead, you're going to disciple the, the kid that gets saved after you, right? And they'd be like, okay, okay. And, and then if they get one chapter ahead, they will disciple you. So I want you to really drop sort of any kind of high and lofty idea of what a mentor is. The idea is, can you stay one chapter ahead and can you then impart that wisdom from one chapter ahead, one step ahead? Can you impart that wisdom? Can you share that knowledge with somebody else? Now there's an example of this that we see in Second, uh, Second Timothy chapter 2, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the Bible because to me it's a very moving account of how the gospel works and how mentorship works and how the kingdom advances from generation to generation. Paul was an apostle of Jesus. He was called, you know, miraculously on the road to Damascus and he traveled all over the place uh, building churches or launching churches throughout the Mediterranean world and uh, raising up disciples. And he had a spiritual son named Timothy. Okay, and so the book of Timothy is actually a letter written from Paul to Timothy. So this is a mentorship letter. It's a, it's a pastoral letter from a father in the faith to a son in the faith. And it's really powerful to see this interaction from thousands of years ago that is very much relevant to us today. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 1, Paul says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. I'm going to read that again, and I want you to just let this kind of sit into your, your heart today and your mind. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. This passage is actually describing four generations of discipleship and empowerment taking place. Paul says, Timothy, you heard me. That's generation one, okay? And Timothy is generation two. Timothy is to pass these truths on to other trustworthy people. That's generation three. 
who will be able to pass them on to others. That's four generations. Now, this is a powerful message. I could talk all about God. Uh, God is a God of generations. If you go even back to the Old Testament, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why does he say that? Why doesn't he say, I'm Abraham's God? And then all the people that come after. Because God is not limited by just one generation, and he doesn't think in just one generation. You see, in our culture, we become very selfish and very self-centered, and we tend to only think about how it goes in our time. What's, well, what about politics in our time? What about our mark on the world? What about our generation? Even what's sad to, to me, and Bethany and I talk about this regularly, is the warfare that goes on in between generations where baby boomers are like, oh, crappy, sucky millennials, and they're ruining the world, and they suck. And millennials are like, okay, boomer. Did you know baby boomers were trying to make that illegal for millennials to say, okay, boomer? L literally. And now Generation Z is attacking millennials, and they're making fun of us. And I'm like, and we're like, come on, Generation Z, you're eating Tide Pods. <laughs> okay, so it's funny to laugh about, but you know what? The reality is that your children, your grandchildren are in these other generations. And again, why would you curse what God wants to bless? Because, you know, when I think about Generation Z, which is the generation coming up underneath my generation, which is millennial generation, so if you think millennials uh, are the problem, well, your pastor's a millennial, okay? Don't curse what God wants to bless. Why do you think I wear skinny jeans, y'all? I'm a millennial. I'm an old soul. I have a gray beard, and I listen to old funky 70s music, so I kind of am like a baby boomer, but I'm not. I'm a millennial. You're like, I don't believe you. No, it's true. I'm a millennial. Bethany's a millennial. We love the millennial generation. We love the baby boomer generation. We love the busters. We love, the, we love all the generations. Why? Because God is the God of generations. But when you think about this, why would we curse what God wants to bless? Why would I want to be all, oh, Generation Z and the generation after them, oh, they're, they're, they're ruining the world. Oh, they are terrible. No, God wants to see revival in those generations. That's the generation of my children. So why would I be all, all cursing? Why would I curse that generation? Why would I curse the generation above me that's poured into my life and shown, shown the, the way on so many things? God is a God of generations. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he doesn't just want to do something cool in your life. He wants to create legacy in your life for the future generations that come. One of the reasons that we are sacrificing and building and doing the things that we're doing here, even in this physical building that we're working on as a church, is not just for our generation, but it's for the generations to come. And if, we don't, if you don't think in generations, then you can't think like God thinks, because God isn't just doing something now in your life. He wants to do something through your life that lasts for generations and legacy. One of the reasons that, that we, we oftentimes don't see the work of God and the, the passion we, we, it doesn't translate even from generation to generation is because we've been too focused on our generation and not pouring up in, into the next. I'm very grateful that at Joy Medford that my parents, Pastor Stephen Kim Schmelzer, <clears throat> that, you know, 25, 30 years ago, they said, we believe God's calling us to really be a church that aims at the next generation. So we're not going to have our music be so funky where all the people that like, you know, are the ones that actually give in the offering where they're like, turn it down. We're actually going to turn it up and we're going to chase people away because we want to reach youth so we can actually release generation changing, you know, church planters and leaders. And now the fruit is now just beginning to be seen out of that movement. But there was sacrifice that had to be made because it wasn't all about the generation paying the bills. This is a good message today right now, I'm telling you. If you are, you know, my age or above and you love every single thing about our church, we're probably not doing it right. We probably should fix some stuff. 
we should probably make it a little bit more uncomfortable for us so it fits better for the next generation so they can fall in love with Jesus, get a passion. Come, oh man, that's good. <laughs> Pastor Kyle and Kayla are putting together the youth room budget and they've got a great vision for that. But we need resources to be able to create a space that will absolutely dynamically help the next generation want to come and be in church and get truth and get vision. Come on, somebody. So we got to get excited about generations. Pastor Becca with the kids ministry, she got, she's getting her budget in for what we need to do with the kids area. We need to build a kids playground. We're not done. We're not done for what for us, and we're not done for them. We are a church about generations because why? We serve a God of generations. That's not my notes, but is that okay? <laughs> but listen, this passage is describing four generations and it's not just generations of age, it's actually generations of, tr of transmitted discipleship. See, even though God does think about generations and it's the, the age generations, he's also thinking about generations of, the, of your spiritual sons and daughters. See, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, well, I don't have kids or my kids aren't here in this church or whatever, so I don't really need to think about generations. No, you do because you need to think about your spiritual sons and daughters that might be younger, older, whatever, than you, that you are create, you know, teaching them, you're, you're ministering to them, and, and God is doing something in them. They become a spiritual son or daughter, and they're supposed to multiply, and they're supposed to multiply. This is how the gospel spreads. I want you to understand that if Paul didn't do this, and Timothy didn't do this, and the next generation didn't do this, you wouldn't be sitting here today. If somebody didn't say, it's not all about me, and I want to empower others, and I want to mentor, and I want to get this message out to the people around me, if somebody else didn't think about generations, then we wouldn't get to hear this message. Aren't you grateful that some Christian in time immemorial, in, in, the, in the past, that they got on their hands and knees and prayed and connected with the heart of God, and that they were willing to go and mentor somebody else? Aren't you glad that somebody else thought about generations? The truth is that I would not be here today without my natural and spiritual father, Pastor Steve, or another spiritual father or mentor, Pastor John Gomez, or my youth pastor, Denny Martinez, or my mentor in the faith, Sean Isma, or my spiritual mothers in the faith, my mom, Kim, Martha Rodman, Edie Iverson, and many others. There were men and women of God that mentored me as a spiritual father or mother that took the time to dig into my life and get down to my level and be patient with me as I figured some stuff out. And as they slapped me on the side of the head and said, you need to figure that out quicker. <laughs> Come on. That there were people that stooped to my level and began to impart some wisdom, began to share some knowledge. They, they weren't in it for what they got out of me. I wasn't a resource to be mined or utilized. I wasn't a gift to be exercised. I was a person that was worth receiving some mentorship because I was part of the plan of God. Come on, I wouldn't be here without them pouring into my life. So here's a big thought for all of us today. The Christian faith depends on the next generation surpassing the previous one. When Bethany and I think about our kids, we don't want them to achieve the level that we've achieved. That would be, in my mind, a failure. I mean, I want them to get at least there, okay? So let's be... <laughs> No, I want them to surpass us. We want them to go past us in passion for God. I want them to surpass us in their righteousness, in their holiness, in their zeal, in their passion for worship. I want them to go past us in their charisma and giftings. I want them to go past us in their character and calling. I want 
the next generation of youth. I want your kids and your teens and their generations that are coming to surpass us when we are just a memory of people that helped get this building set up, when we're just a memory of people that got a church started in 2016, when we are just a memory, I hope our legacy lives on in the generations to come and they surpass us because the kingdom only wins when we help the next generation do more for the kingdom than we did and than we do. You know, there's that, that, that statement that says we stand on the shoulders of giants, you know, and that's such a great thing. But, but the kingdom of God, the beautiful thing is, is we lay our lives down for others and we pour in and we mentor and we give our, our hearts and our, our time. <clears throat> the kingdom wins when the next generation surpasses. Come on, can you buy into that vision? So let's talk about some action steps that, you know, we are empowered by mentors and we're empowered to be mentors. Action steps. Number one, you need to get a mentor. Get yourself a mentor, right? Who can speak into your life? This is something missing in so many people's lives. <clears throat> Who can speak into your life and say the hard things that you need to hear? Who can speak to you and say, that ain't it, chief. That attitude, that behavior, that, that mindset, you're, you're thinking too small or you're thinking too big for your britches. Like you need to dial, you need to get in line, but this is not right. Who can speak to you? That attitude, the way you're treating your spouse, this, this thing. Do you have people in your life that are mentoring you? Again, they're sharing wisdom, they're imparting knowledge, but they're, they're able to actually speak to you from a place of authority into your life where not only do you listen, but you receive it and you do it. Do you have that? Who do you have in your life that's encouraging your faith and calling? Oh, it's you, Pastor Jake, on Sundays. No. Maybe a little bit. But the reality is all of us are limited in our time and capacity. And I, Bethany and I have about... 10 to 12, 15 people in the whole church that we can mentor, that we can pour into. And if you're just coming on Sundays, you're not being mentored by me. You're being trained, you're being taught, you're receiving from the teaching gift. You're operate, I'm operating as a five-fold minister to equip you to do the work of the ministry, but you're not being mentored by me. And I'm not going to mentor you because, because there's, there's no time to do that. But you know what? There are people in the church that will mentor you and it's your job to go pursue them, okay? You with me? So who can speak into your life and say the hard things? Who's encouraging your faith and calling? Who have you said, this is my dream. This is my, this is my uh, goal. This is what God's placed in me. This is the thing he's wanting to do where they can say, cool, I can come and be the, the breath on that fire, right? I can come and encourage that in you and challenge you along those lines. Who's training you? Training you, right? Think about training. Training is like the coach, the position coach in college football. The guy, you know, is out there and they're like, no, this is how you do your footwork. You know what I mean? And they're like, no, 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 this way, this way. Pivot your hip. Do this, do that. Training is very practical. Who's training you in the faith? Training you in ministry? Training you in marriage? Training you in these areas? Who's imparting their knowledge to you? Now, let me give you a little secret, okay? Because <clears throat> we all need to get a mentor, right? Or mentors, spiritual fathers and mothers that speak into us in some of these areas that I'm talking about. But here's a little secret. It's not the mentor's job to chase you down. Well, somebody needs to mentor me. No, you need to grow up and go find yourself a mentor. You need to be the camel with their nose in the tent. You know what that means? The camel sticks his nose in the tent, and if he doesn't, they don't tell him to get out right there. He puts a little bit more in, right? <laughs> Keeps going until eventually there's a whole camel in the tent, right? That's your job. That's what you got to do. If you want to be mentored by somebody, it's your job to pursue them. Make it easy for them to mentor you. Make it easy for them 
to like you and want to impart to you. One of the things that, that people, if, if you're nice, people will want to spend more time with you. Is that a novel idea for some people? If you're the kind of person who whenever a conversation starts, you're like, well, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. If you're a yeah, but, people aren't going to want to talk to you. If you're an um, actually kind of person, do you know what I mean by that? So, yeah, you know, this is uh, how it goes, da, 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 mentoring, um, actually, no. <laughs> you know what you'll do? Whoosh, shut it down. You have to be humble. Do you know a lot of times people tell me stuff I already know? Did you know that? <laughs> hey, Pastor Jake, did you know this? Oh, really? Wow, thanks. Because I never learned anything in a position of pride, only humility. So if you can't listen to somebody tell you stuff you already know, then you'll never get to the part where they tell you stuff you didn't. About 90% of the stuff people ever tell me in my life, I already know. Seriously. Did you know this? Did you know that? Yeah, I did. But what if I was always like, yeah, I already knew that, idiot. <laughs> shut down, shut down the hearts. Humility opens doors that pride slams shut. Yeah. To get mentors to be able to give you their value, you have to receive other things and listen to them. There's, there's people that will come and tell me things and give me lessons and lectures, tell me how to run the church, tell me how to run my life, tell me how to raise my kids, tell me how to do this, that, how to talk, how to speak, how to do whatever. You shouldn't wear skinny jeans. You should. Your skinny jeans aren't skinny enough. They're, they're too skinny. You know what I mean? We all get all kinds of stuff. Eat the fish, spit out the bones, be humble, receive, but it's your job. If you want to grow, it's your job to pursue mentors, to chase them down and be humble and be uh, nice enough and kind enough and, and cool enough to receive, Right? There was a young man that I was discipling many, many years ago, and uh, one day <clears throat> he came to me, he wanted to have a sit-down appointment, and I was mentoring him, you know, and he was going through some stuff, dealing with some issues, and he said to me, uh, I need, I need, I, Pastor Jake, I just need you to be on me. Like, it's, you know, just, just be on me. Like, every week, ask me, did, did you do that sin, and are you doing what you're supposed to be doing, and like, just be on me. And I was kind of nodding along, and I, something wasn't right in my, my heart, and I was kind of like, well... So I'm kind of starting to agree to this. And then I was like, hold on a second, no. And he's like, what do you mean no? I'm like, no, because what you're asking me to do is be your conscience, be the Holy Spirit, and be your work ethic. So no, you can ask me questions, I'll give you answers, and then it's your job to do the job. Mentorship is not somebody doing the work for you. Mentorship is saying, can I glean some wisdom and then have the humility to not do it my way and filter what you said through how I, I did it my way. Number one, you're not Frank Sinatra. Number two, if you do it your way, you're not doing it God's way and you're not doing it the mentor's way and you're not going to get the same results. Don't do it your way. Do it their way. Listen to what they have to say. Filter it through, you know, God's calling in your life, but don't filter it through, well, I think I'm going to do this and that. No, be humble and do it their way. So I said to this guy, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be on you like white on rice. That's not my job. I will speak into your life. I'll mentor you. If the Lord says something to me, I'll share it with you. But it's your job to do this, to do your job. It's your job to live your life. So with mentors, it's not their job to chase you down and be a mentor. Now, you, I'm going to talk about why we do need to chase people down and be a mentor. So this is a truth intention, but we have to receive this in a heart of humility. Like, okay, I need to pursue the people that I want to learn from and, and be humble enough <clears throat> to receive. Joy group that we do, and we're going to talk about, we have a, a launch going on right now where you can join a, a group, is a great place to connect with mentors. 
And here's one of the things that really irritates me. Do you want me to tell you right now? This really irritates me, is people that try to go around the system in place in order to go try to get mentorship. In other words, I'm not going to go to Joy Group, but I still want Joy Church and the people here and the leaders to be a mentor to me. I want them to pour into me, but I won't go through the front door. I'll try to circumvent. We have a system in place for you to connect with mentors. It's called Joy Group. Well, I can't, I don't have an hour a week. Then you're not ready to be mentored. There's a nice place you can go. It's called Your House. Go watch YouTube videos. But if you want to receive mentorship that will take you to the next level, then you need to go through the process. I'm, this is better message than you're giving me credit for today. I understand. I'm a little cantankerous today. I know. I know. But I actually say this as a father in the faith, that I love you. I care for you. And if you won't humble yourself to go through the process that has been laid out for you, then you can't receive. All right. Don't amen me, but okay. I know that's good. Don't look for shortcuts. Don't try to go around the process. Embrace the process. Sometimes the process of God in our life is boring. Sometimes the process of God in our life to get mentorship is not comfortable. Sometimes the process isn't, it's not sexy. It's not the newest thing. It's not this amazing thing. People aren't like, oh, guess what I did this week? I went to Joy Group and wow. uh." No, it it, it might just kind of be like a a group and it wasn't like life-changing in that moment, but how are you going to connect with somebody to have these generational moments of somebody pouring into you if you don't do the work of building that relationship and it's not somebody else's job to chase you down and activate you? You need to get this idea. I'm a disciple of Jesus and the word disciple is connected to the word discipline, so I actually need to have some and actually obey God and get connected in Christian community and find a mentor who can pour into me, not because it's their job, but because it's my job as a disciple of Jesus. It's called personal responsibility. And no, that's not a cuss word. A lot of people think it is, but it's not. Personal responsibility. Well, it's this person's, it's society's job to do this for me. It's the church's job. Let me tell you something else that irritates me and I don't like. Well, Pastor Jake, your church didn't reach out to me during, you know, this, or the church didn't do this. Well, number one, the church is all of us, and it's your church and my church. It's not more my church than your church. So if you identify failing in the church, then you just put a nice, you know, label on your forehead, right? That's an immature statement. It's immature. The church does not do that. The people in the church are always available. I've watched people throughout this entire year, throughout the whole thing, lay their lives down for others, be available. It's your job to get the help you need. If your tummy got a boo-boo, you got to tell mommy. Come on. Pastor Jake, you mean you don't sit and pray for me personally at three in the morning when my tummy has a boo-boo? You don't? No, I pray for you, but you got to say something. My marriage is in trouble. I need help. Somebody need to help me, train me, teach me how to get my finances in order. There are people in the church that will mentor you, but you got to find them, okay? You got you to gotta pursue. All right, I'm done. I'll be nice. You all right? Okay, okay. I feel like I get at least one message out of each series to just go a little bit raw. Is that okay? All right. No, I'm, I'm actually teasing about being raw, but I, I, I 100% stand behind the things that I'm saying right now. It's just maturity. This is the meat that we got to grow up, right? as disciples. Okay, so number one, action step is get a mentor. Number two is we need to be a mentor, and this is where we flip the coin, because getting a mentor is half the battle, but actually mentoring others, even as you are pursuing people to mentor you, is the other side of the coin, because maturity actually comes not from receiving, but it comes from giving. 
Maturity is not just, oh, I was taught and trained and somebody poured into me. And so I just kind of held on to it. No, it comes from actually giving it to others. Maturity comes from ministry, not the other way around. You don't, you don't minister because you're mature. You are mature because you minister. What does it mean to minister? It means to serve. How do you serve? Well, it's not just cleaning floors. It's not just serving in the dream team. It's also serving others by giving them your time, your energy, and mentoring them. It's time to start mentoring and discipling someone else. Well, I'm not ready. I'm not qualified. I don't have what it takes. Welcome to the club. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are called, you are qualified, because our Lord and Savior, He doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. He calls you into ministry, calls you into discipleship, and He says, you know what? You can help the people that you're one chapter ahead of, right? One step ahead. It's time to start mentoring and discipling other people in your life. And don't underestimate the impact you have on people. So many times I underestimate a conversation, a word, you know, a, an encouragement, a time when I maybe poured into someone's life and I think, well, you know, I've never really helped anyone at that much of a level. And somebody comes back years later and says, no, that, that really made a difference in my life. That example or that word or that thing you shared, that story, whatever it may be. Do not underestimate the impact you have on other people's life because it's tremendous. When a mentor will take time to say, hey, could I mentor you? Could I, could I pour into you? Could I share some wisdom and knowledge? Not for me to appear more smart than you or whatever, but just to pour into your life. That's a very amazing transaction that goes on there. It's powerful. I remember uh, Pastor Sean Isma. he was on staff at Joy Medford for several years, and he was uh, kind of our youth ministry director for a period of time. And he was the man that mentored me uh, when I was a young, uh, young Turk, I think I was like 14, 15, maybe through 20. So that really, really cool age when you know everything uh, <laughs> and think that nobody has anything to share with you. I'm teasing, but that for me was kind of how I was. And Pastor Sean was so patient with me. He mentored me. He, he worked with me. Um, and I didn't even always listen. I didn't even always follow this message. Sometimes I would take the things he would say and I go, oh yeah, well, I think different, you know. But he just stayed with me. He kept, kept ministering to me through mentoring me. And it made such a, a, a difference in my life. He was faithful and obedient to pour into my life. And it made a difference. His wife was a mentor for Bethany. Uh, is that right? I'm saying that correct? Yeah, for, for those years too. And we weren't married. We were just kids in the youth ministry and leaders in their, in their team. But the, the, the input that he put into my life, it created so much fruit that even years later, I didn't even realize until years later, oh wow, he planted some pretty powerful seeds in me. One situation happened where one day I was sitting uh, out in the uh, one part of the, of the church and I was doing my devotions and we, I was in the internship and he was our director for this year. And uh, he was like, hey Jake, you know, we're supposed to be in the other room uh, together. And I was like, well, you know, I, I, I get it, but I, I just, I think I connect with God better out here by myself, you know, alone. And he's like, uh, so I was like, he goes, well, I, I really want you to come in that other room. And I said, well, I don't, I, don't, I just, I don't agree with that. And he goes, well, I didn't ask if you agree. I, I don't care if you agree. I want you to obey. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so I gathered my things and I, I apologized to him. I'm sorry, you're right. And I, and I did it and I obeyed. You know what that taught me? You got to learn to get in line sometimes and follow the process. You know, I didn't agree. Well, I don't think that I can connect with God in this other room. Well, that was stupid, right? And I needed to just get in line. 
Now, I think our generation of, of parenting and all this is sort of allergic to that to some level, but we need to get unallergic to it because it actually helps young people understand sometimes you just got to get in line, right, and do what's right. I am not getting any agreement today, but it's okay. I'm just going to keep preaching it. And later on, years later, you'll be like, wow, that was like one of the best messages I ever heard. But he poured into me. He was obedient and faithful to basically continue to help kind of a, a little bit of a cocky kid who thought he knew everything grow in the faith. And so the fruit that comes out of my life is his fruit too. You with me? The fruit that comes out of the people who you mentor, who you pour into, that comes out of their life is your fruit too. Once again, Paul said, Timothy, the things I've taught you, pass these on to other trustworthy people who themselves will teach others also. And our faith advances through these generations. Amen? Amen. Bow your head and close your eyes today. Listen, if you're here in this place and you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus, I know I haven't really been saying lots of nice flowery words today. This is kind of a meat and potatoes message, but I believe that as you hear the truth of the Word of God, you hear the heart of a father, of a pastor, to talk about mentorship and the fact that God loves you enough to even challenge your, your will, challenge your, uh, your existing way of thinking, and bring that correction and alignment in truth and in humility, that it reflects the heart of God, that He loves you so much. He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for you and for me, to pay for our sins, so that what? So we could have a relationship with Him where He could be our Father. We get a place at the family table. He forgives our sins. He washes them away. Scripture says that he cast them into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. In other words, it's gone. And if that's you today and you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus, could you just raise your hand so I can see? And I want to pray with you this morning. Thank you so much. Awesome. Awesome. Anybody else want to take that step to submit your life to Jesus today? Put your faith and trust in him. If that's you, thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Let's pray this prayer together, all of us together. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you. I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. I give you my life and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.